Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Now here's Pastor Barry. Well, good morning, North Sound Church family. It's back to the future today. We had a little technical glitch with the recording at church, and so rather than drag everybody back to do it again, we decided to just have me go back to uh, what it was like in the spring when I recorded from the house here. I heard from some of you that you uh, were trying to figure out the names of the books on the bookshelf behind me, so this morning we'll give you a little bit more time to figure it out, although it may have changed some since the last time you were looking. Well, we're going to spend some time together in a brand new series as we begin a brand new year here, January 3rd, the first Sunday of the new year. And I thought it appropriate for us to talk about doing a new thing, and that's going to be the theme of our series and also the the topic of the message this morning. I uh, sent out, along with Barb, to our family uh, a Christmas card that had a picture that was taken this last year. And uh, you know how it goes with those Costco photos. You get a chance to put in the words you want. And we wished our family a happier 2021. I think we are all glad to move in that direction. It's been a tough 10 months, hasn't it? We've been in lockdown. We are ready for a new thing. And so this morning we're going to look at that. And there's this great passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 43, where God talks to the people of Israel. Now, they were in exile. They were in captivity in Babylon. Life was not good. This was their 2020. Uh, It was not a good season for them. But God talked to them about a future. He says this in, um, in Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. He says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness. We have this wonderful um, encouragement to the people of Israel, and we ourselves can take joy in this promise that was for Israel and is for us as well. One of my favorite passages for we who have feeling like Israel, we've been in exile, we've been in our own Babylon this past year, is Jeremiah 29, 11, originally given to the children of Israel, but a promise for us as well, where God says he has a plan for us, a plan to prosper us, a plan, he says, to give us a hope and a future. And friends, we are going to hang on to that promise as we enter into this new year together. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we get a sense of the purpose that God has for us. And indeed, in living out the plan of God for our lives, which has been established, we find that that we find the fulfillment and the joy that God intended for us when we live out his purpose. That's how we fulfill his plan. And that purpose is identified in the Lord's Prayer when we conclude it by saying, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And you know, that, was, that, that promise actually goes back to the time of David. In 1 Chronicles 29, we read these words, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness 
and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted and head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. Friends, this year we've seen the clash of two kingdoms, haven't we? We've seen the clash of the, the, the kingdom of this world as exemplified in the pandemic and the, the terrible death and destruction we've seen as a result of the pandemic in so many ways. And we've also seen the evil of society turned on itself, of some of the worst of what we, what we are, what we have been as human beings when we, we turn our anger against each other. And we've seen such terrible uh, violence, issues of racism, things that are not according to God's will for our lives or for our nation. And it's important, I think, for us to understand that when Jesus... Um, came into this world and he, he grew up, showed us how to live. And as he was going to the cross to become the means by which our sins are forgiven, we, we remember on Palm Sunday how the people waved palm branches. They thought he was coming to overthrow Caesar. They thought he was going to address the kingdom of this world in that very political kind of a violent way. And they changed their feelings about him when they realized that was not the case. There were two very different kingdoms and Jesus introduced to us a whole new understanding of what the kingdom was. What does it mean when we pray, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever? Well, it's a reminder that there are two kingdoms. Jesus in Luke, uh, has, uh, as the story of Jesus begins, it's the story of uh, Jesus' birth, and it begins with Caesar Augustus, in the days of Caesar Augustus. And we find there that there was this great contrast between the life of this child that came in Bethlehem and, and the life and the kingdom of Caesar Augustus. I like the way Tom Wright puts it. He puts it, he talks about how we have this beautiful romantic picture of the shepherds hearing the call of God and then responding to that call and we have that beautiful manger scene that we, we see every Christmas. But it doesn't take long to move beyond that to the great evil where we find that there's a clear statement, a clear delineation of these two kingdoms, kingdoms that radically differ, kingdoms that are destined to compete because they have radically different definitions of what peace and power are all about. Now, there's the old king in Rome at the time of Jesus' birth, probably turning 60 years of age, and he represents perhaps the best that the pagan world could offer. He at least knows that peace and stability are good things, but they came in Caesar's case at the end of the sword. Many were killed to get to that place, and many more were killed on a continual basis for that reason, for peace and stability. Unfortunately, his real interest also is his own glory, his own power. Already before his death, many of his subjects are believing that he as Caesar is divine. And then we have here the contrast, and, and I like the words of, of Tom Wright here. He goes on to say, here by contrast is the young king in Bethlehem, born with a price on his head. He represents the dangerous alternative, 
the possibility of a different empire, a different power, a different glory, a different peace. Tom says the two systems stand over against one another. Augustus' empire is like a well-lit room at night. The lamps are arranged beautifully. They shed pretty patterns, but they haven't defeated the darkness outside. Jesus' kingdom is like the morning star rising, signaling that it's a time to blow out the candles, to throw open the curtains, and to welcome the new day that is dawning. Glory to God in the highest and peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then Tom goes on to speak of these words from the Lord's Prayer. He says, God's kingdom, God's power, and God's glory are what it's all about. It's the prayer that the alternative vision of reality may become not just a vision, but reality. It's the prayer that the baby in Bethlehem may be the reality of which Augustus is the parody. You see, friends, the kingdom of Caesar Augustus had its own values. Power belonged to Caesar, and he used it to enforce his vision of reality. Remember, the cross was a Roman instrument for rebels and for criminals. It was to punish them. Power came with might. Power was the ability to control others. It was the capacity to force one's will over the will of other people. Caesar was no stranger to glory. Pride carried the day in Rome when Roman generals would return victorious and march through Rome with their legions. It is said that there was a servant who would ride the chariot with the general and whisper in their ear, memento mori, remember you are mortal. But in fact, by this time, people are already beginning to suggest that the Caesars were divine. And the powerful enforcement of the will of Caesar came at the end of a spear. Jesus spoke of a different kingdom. It's a place where power is found in service and glory is found in humility. I think Philip Yancey is right when he, he lays down the critical question of belief and unbelief. He says, is the visible world around us all there is? You see, scientists can, can dissect and can, can try to get to the, to the roots of things. But in fact, what we find is that they can talk about the what of the world, but they are not able to address the questions of why things exist as they do. Yancey ponders this question in a book called Rumors of Another World. And early in the book, he offers some, some stories that suggest there's far more to reality than this reductionism of scientists. He says that, that um, we who built the skyscrapers in New York, who build today not just galleons, but space stations and Hubble telescopes that peer to the very edge of the universe, what about us? What are we missing? What do we not see for lack of imagination or faith? He goes on to tell a story told by the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, a parable of a rich man riding in a lighted carriage with a peasant holding the reins of the horse outside the carriage. And he talks about the fact that because the rich man sat in the artificial light inside the carriage, he missed the beautiful panorama of the stars that had come out in that clear sky 
at night, a glorious view that was manifested only to the peasant. In modern time, it seems, says, says Philip, that as science casts more light on the created world, its shadows further obscure the invisible world beyond. So what is this other world? What is this other kingdom that was inaugurated, that was initiated with the, the babe in Bethlehem? Well, the last verse of Luke's description in the life and progress of the church. So we now leave the beginning of the book of Acts, which was written by, um, which was written by the physician Luke, the Gospel of Acts. And now we move, or excuse me, the Gospel of Luke, describing the life of Jesus. And then his second book described the life of the early church, we call the Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles. And the very last verse of this description of the life of the early church um, we have these words, boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we learn something about this other world, this other kingdom. It's called the kingdom of God, and it made up the substance of the teaching of Paul. But it was also the main message of Jesus. Again and again, Jesus talked about the message of the kingdom in terms of good news. In Matthew 4, we read, And he went through all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel or the good news of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom was also the message of the early church. We saw it in Acts, in Paul. We read uh, in Acts 8. But when they believed, Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. They heard the good news of the kingdom, of this other reality, of this other kind of kingdom, and respond and were baptized and entered into that kingdom. In Matthew 13, we get some sense of the value of this kingdom, the value of the good news of this kingdom. In verse 44 of Matthew 13, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. There was nothing more valuable than the kingdom of God. So what is this? kingdom of God. Well, in God's big story, he placed Adam and Eve in paradise, and unfortunately, having been given a free will, they decided to go their own way. They wanted to be like God. They wanted to invest in this other kingdom, the kingdom that reflected their own glory and not the glory of God. And that's a choice that would bring destruction and death, and that has lived on down into our time, and we make a similar choice as individuals. And unfortunately, this is the world that we know. This is the world that reductionists try to understand by dissection. But the good news of the kingdom of God is this announcement of another world, the vision of the Father for a redeemed world, for taking this world of death and destruction and redeeming it, making something good from that which is bad. A new creation is freed from the chains of sin and corruption.
Now this new world, the kingdom of God, begins with the work of Jesus Christ, with his death on the cross. He became the means by which our sins are forgiven. His kingdom reign has begun and, and everything changed as a result of the cross. The kingdom began, but it will be fulfilled at the second coming of Jesus Christ. The enemy was defeated, but the war is not completely over until Jesus returns. We live in the time of the now, which is the kingdom of this world, and the not yet, which is the kingdom of God, and we live in the overlap of those ages, and we have to choose individually which kingdom we are going to align our lives with. The kingdom of God begins small, but it grows large. In Luke 13, Jesus said, What is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. John the Revelator looked forward to the great day when God's kingdom would be fully come. In Revelation 11, he writes, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever. God has given us an opportunity to do something about the good news of the kingdom. First of all, he calls us to enter in, calls us to cross into the kingdom. You may remember the well-known story from John chapter three of Jesus talking to the Jewish leader, Nicodemus, and talking to him about the kingdom and this choice. And Nicodemus asked a question. Jesus responded, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Friends, the decision to embrace the kingdom of God, to cross over into the kingdom, to align our lives not with the kingdom of this world, but the kingdom of God is an enormous decision. It changes everything. It's a move from darkness into light. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, we read this, that Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. This is a decision to reject the power and the glory of the world and to identify with the power and the glory of God. It's a decision to embrace our Lord Jesus Christ and the glory of the Father. So what does the kingdom look like? Well, according to the Lord's Prayer, it's fairly simple. The, the kingdom of God is a place under the rule and reign of God. It's a place that's marked by God's will being done. So human beings then choose to live under the rule and reign of God when they choose to follow Jesus, when they choose to be born again. According to Romans chapter 14, verse 7, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's just take a moment and break that down. The kingdom of God is a place of righteousness. That means it's a place where the world is lived rightly. The world, the kingdom of this world is marked by corruption. 
It's marked by injustice. It's marked by violence. It's marked by selfishness. All of these things that we see, it's not marked by rightness. It's not marked by people living rightly, which is essentially another name for righteousness. And so it's important, I think, for us to understand that that we need to enter into the beauty of the kingdom. If we take the, the relationship that God intended between man and woman in marriage, the, the beauty of the sexual relationship, that's what it's to be like in, God, in the beauty of God's kingdom, his original intention, his will for us. But it has gotten marked, especially in recent times, by so much destructive behavior as it in and of itself and its, its pursuit has caused the the destruction of so many marriages and families and relationships, disease and addiction. Some think of it as as sexual freedom when in fact righteousness in God's kingdom is what brings freedom. God's kingdom is also a place of peace, righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Far too many of us live conflicted lives. We have been so impacted by the kingdom of this world by the hurts of the past, by the things that have happened to us. And God's kingdom promises us peace. It's a peace where those past hurts are redeemed. The the bad is turned into good. The future is marked by hope. He gives us that hope and he gives us that future. The kingdom of God is also marked by joy. This is not a a giddy excitement. It's not that kind of a joy. It's a deep sense of well-being that comes from living one's life according to God's will. And then finally, this passage talks about these things being the the work of the Holy Spirit. And God promised us uh, in the person of Jesus Christ that when he went to be with the Father, he would send the Spirit. And we have that beautiful example of the, of the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that is a model for us. And the promise that the Holy Spirit actually, when we cross into the kingdom, actually lives in our hearts. God indwells us. What an amazing thing to ponder. So, as I conclude this morning, what does all of this mean for you and me? Well, first of all, as individuals, we don't enter the kingdom when we die. We enter the kingdom when we choose to follow Jesus Christ, when we choose to give up our alignment with this world, the kingdom of this world, and align our lives with the kingdom of God. We enter into true freedom for the first time as we confess our rebellion, we confess our sins, and we fully embrace the life in the kingdom. And now we have a long view on life. It's not a life lived for the moment. It's a life lived for eternity. And we no longer seek after our kingdom, our power, and our glory. But in fact, we pray for his kingdom, his power, his glory to be applied to our lives forever. The scriptures tell us that we're to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That is the the rightness of God's will being done in the world. And that, that when we do this, he will give us in this life what we need. We're told to lay up treasures in heaven by living for the kingdom, where moth and rust, where the corruption of this world isn't going to affect the, the treasure um, that we have by living our lives in the kingdom. We live as stewards, friends, of all God has given to us. And that stewardship means that as God has entrusted us with the wonder of his kingdom, so we are to live that out in our lives. We live with the supernatural reality that we've moved from the old into the new, from death to life, from dark 
to light and from bondage to freedom. And then secondly, as a kingdom community, as North South Church and as the worldwide body of Christ, we recognize that we don't just cross into the kingdom as individuals, although initially that's an individual choice, but by entering into the kingdom of God, we become an agent of the kingdom of God individually, but we join our efforts in community. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. To be in the kingdom of God is to be in Christian community. And, and that affects how we live our lives together in community. We build a culture in our church that reflects the Trinity and the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit where there is this humility and service, this, this diversity and trust and love and grace within the context of that relationship is to be lived out in our lives in community as we navigate life together as fellow members of the kingdom of God and of his church. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray that our lives may be aligned with the kingdom of God. A story is told of a man by the name of Ivan who was in a one of those terrible Soviet-era prison camps in the north in Siberia. Ivan was a spiritual man and would pray regularly and on one occasion, another prisoner saw him in prayer and said these words to him. He ridiculed him by saying, prayer won't help you get out of here any faster. And Ivan responded to the man. He said, I do not pray to get out of prison, but I pray to do the will of God. Friends, that's our prayer. That's what the Lord's Prayer tells us to do, to pray that we may do the will of God. As we pray the Lord's Prayer, it's not just about our needs and our desires, our list of things as important as those are, and God tells us to bring them to him. But our prayer is that we also would do the will of God. I love the story about a group of salesmen that were at a conference and promised their wives that they would be home from the conference in time for dinner on Friday evening and they were racing to the airport to catch their flight. They were running late, and as they ran through the terminal, one of the salesmen with his briefcase flying knocked on a stand of apples, but they didn't stop. They just kept running so they wouldn't miss their flight. They got to the gate. They all got on the airplane or were about to get on the airplane when one of them had a moment of conscience, stopped, and said to the others, you go ahead. I will catch a later flight. And he turned and walked back to the stand of, of apples and was very glad that he did because he, he saw that the stand was occupied by a young girl about 16 years of age and she was completely blind. And she was softly crying and she was, she was reaching in that busy terminal where no one was stopping, no one cared, everybody was rushing trying to find her apples, groping for that produce, and, and again, no one stopping to help her. The salesman knelt on the floor with her, gathered the apples together. As he did so, he noticed that a number of them had been bruised by their fall onto the terminal floor, and so he picked them up and set them aside, and then he dug in his wallet and pulled out $40 and handed them to the young, handed the money to the young lady and uh, for the damage that was done, and he said, are you okay? He said, I hope we didn't spoil your day too badly. And as the salesman started to walk away, the, the blind girl 
um, bewildered by what had just taken place, called after him. She said, Mister? And he stopped and turned and looked into her blind eyes. She continued by saying, Are you Jesus? And in that moment, he stopped and he said, No, I'm, I'm not Jesus. He said, I'm nothing like Jesus. He's good and loving and caring, and he never would have bumped into your cart to begin with. But the girl gently nodded and she said, well, I only ask because I prayed for Jesus to help me to gather these apples and he sent you to help me. She said, you are like him. Only he knows who will do his will. Thank you for responding to his call, mister. Friends, as we begin this new year and we talk about God doing a new thing in our lives individually, and as the community of faith of North Sound Church, I can't think of anything better for us in living in the kingdom than for us to be mistaken for Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning for the wonder of your kingdom. We thank you, Lord, that our lives are not just what they seem to be in front of us for the moment, that we, we live a relatively short period of time and then it's all over. But in fact, Lord, you have shown us the way to eternal life and the way to live meaningful and purposeful lives today. And so, Lord, as we begin a new chapter, as we begin a new year, as we, we begin to leave the exile of the virus and we look forward to the future, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to align our will with your will and to be truly people of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.